The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Thursday, October 20th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how the Black Death changed the course of human evolution. Plus, the exoplanet with a marshmallow-like atmosphere. And IKEA is testing out autonomous delivery vehicles. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. It will be years before we understand the full impact COVID has had on our world, especially when it comes to understanding the enigma of long COVID and what long-term prospects look like for those experiencing it. A new study published yesterday in the journal Nature may shed some light on just how much COVID-19 has the potential to affect humans in the long run and how long it could take us to understand that. An international team led by anthropologists and geneticists from the University of Chicago and McMaster University have found that the Black Death in the 14th century left lasting marks on immune-related genes in humans. Quoting Eureka Alert, The team focused on a 100-year window before, during, and after the Black Death, which reached London in the mid-1300s. It remains the single greatest human mortality event in recorded history, killing upwards of 50% of the people in what were then some of the most densely populated parts of the world. More than 500 ancient DNA samples were extracted and screened from the remains of individuals who had died before the plague, died from it, or survived the Black Death in London, including individuals buried in the East Smithfield Plague Pits used for mass burials in 1348-49. Additional samples were taken from remains buried in five other locations across Denmark. End quote. And what the researchers were looking for was what genetic markers survivors may have had that those who perished from the plague did not, because those survivors would go on to have children with the same genetic markers while those with the unlucky ones died. Quoting Science.org, Other scholars have been pondering that mystery for centuries, but now, by analyzing DNA from those old bones and others from London and Denmark, Clunk and her colleagues have found an answer. The survivors were much more likely to carry gene variants that boosted their immune response to Yersinia pestis, the flea-borne bacterium that causes the plague. One variant alone appears to have increased the chance of surviving the plague by 40%, they reported today in Nature. We were blown away. It's not a small effect, says Hendrik Poinar, an evolutionary geneticist at McMaster and co-lead author of the study. The findings also indicate the Black Death caused a dramatic jump in the proportion of people carrying the protective variant. It is the strongest surge of natural selection on the human genome documented so far. But the improved immunity came at a cost. Today, the variant is also associated with a higher risk of autoimmune disease. End quote. 
Some of those autoimmune diseases include rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and Crohn's disease. And speaking to Ars Technica, evolutionary biologist David Enard, who was not involved in the study, said, quote, Perhaps this increased risk simply did not matter during the Black Death. The urgency of the pandemic might have made the trade-off an inevitable one. And he continued saying the findings suggest, quote, even humans with their historically small populations and long intervals between generations can adapt at remarkable speed. But riding the evolutionary bullet train might come at a cost. End quote. And to better understand this trade-off, Science Alert makes a good comparison. Quote, Such impactful infectious diseases represent one of the strongest pressures for natural selection, particularly for humans. Take sickle cell anemia, for example, a genetic disorder that happens to also provide a degree of resistance against the more deadly malaria. Since someone with sickle cell is more likely to survive malaria, they'll have an opportunity to conceive more children who will also have sickle cell anemia. Over time, the incidence of sickle cell anemia rises within populations living in malaria-prone regions. End quote. And to really ride home how quickly the process of natural selection occurred during the Black Death, quoting from Science.org, an analysis of 143 samples from London also indicated that before the Black Death, 40% of Londoners carried one or two copies of the protective variant. But only 35% of plague victims carried it. And after the plague, the share of Londoners carrying the protective variant rose to more than 50% within just a few generations. In Denmark, where the sample size was smaller, the proportion of people carrying the protective variant rose from 45% before the Black Death to 70% after. And although the 10 percentage point increase seen in London might not seem like a lot, researchers have never before documented such a rapid surge in a human genetic variant, says co-author Luis Barrero. It is among the fastest examples of natural selection ever detected in humans, says population geneticist Monty Slatkin of the University of California, Berkeley, who was not a part of the study. And today, the protective variant is still found in about 45% of British people in the 1000 Genomes Database, a catalog of genetic variation. Once the pandemic is gone, this cost becomes apparent, Enard says. The variant's high proportion suggests natural selection continued to favor it until recently, presumably because the plague remained endemic in Europe and Asia into the 19th century. End quote. Researchers are currently looking to identify similar genetic swings in other populations around the world to help confirm the findings of this study and possibly, co-lead author Tom Gilbert says, show that genetic shifts are what really led to the bacteria that causes the Black Plague being less dangerous today as opposed to the general assumption that we just got better at pest control and hygiene. But it also, the researchers say, quoting Science Alert, provides empirical evidence for an association between autoimmune risk and adaptation to an infectious disease that spread centuries ago, end quote. And I would posit, could the same occur with COVID-19 or other widespread diseases? I mean, Science Alert already presented the malaria sickle cell example, are people who are less likely to experience severe outcomes from COVID perhaps more likely to experience other diseases? I am completely postulating here, just doing a thought experiment, not necessarily following any line of evidence or reasoning, but it is an interesting thing to think about.
One of the best parts about all these newer and better telescopes we have these days is how much more we're learning about exoplanets, because all of them are so weird. So many exoplanets increasingly feel like the drawings of kindergartners. There's the recent discovery of an exoplanet with iron rain, one of the same ones that has barium in its atmosphere, aka the stuff used to make green fireworks. And a few years ago, it was discovered that several have a puffy, almost cotton candy-like state. And now, new research is describing one as having the density of a marshmallow, calling it the fluffiest exoplanet orbiting a red dwarf star yet discovered. Quoting Jamie Carter in Forbes, TOI-3757b is an exoplanet, a planet orbiting a star outside our solar system, orbiting a cool red dwarf star of the kind that makes up about 70% of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's around 580 light-years distant in the constellation of Auriga, which can be seen rising in the east after dark this month from the northern hemisphere. Its mass has been calculated to be about 17 grams per cubic feet, or 0.27 grams per cubic centimeter. That's a quarter that of Jupiter. And as Carter points out, quote, it's so light it would float in a bathtub of water, end quote. And as Science Alert further explains, quote, This is important. It means that worlds with significant gas envelopes can be found closely orbiting the small, tempestuous dwarf stars, which astronomers had previously suspected might strip any closely orbiting planets of a large proportion of their atmospheres. And since atmospheres are thought to be one of the key planetary characteristics that allow life to form and thrive, this would have implications for our understanding of the habitability of planets orbiting red dwarf stars. End quote. Basically, red dwarf stars are so small and dim that none of them can be seen with the naked eye. That small size and dim nature also means they last a lot longer than, for example, our sun. Like, exponentially longer. 10 billion years versus several trillion. That, plus the fact that there's so many of them, remember they make up 70% of the stars in our galaxy, means that if we're looking for life on exoplanets, one that's orbiting a red dwarf star is a good bet. However, red dwarf stars also send out a lot of powerful flares, of the sort that could irradiate and destroy planets' atmospheres if they get too close. But remember, red dwarf stars are colder than our sun, so for a planet to be warm enough to support life, it would have to get really close to its star, within the flare zone. But this new marshmallow exoplanet kind of defies those prior expectations. This exoplanet has a mass equivalent to 85 Earths, so it's big. Jupiter is about 318 Earths, and has an average density of about 1.33 grams per cubic centimeter. And remember I said the average density of this marshmallow exoplanet is 0.27, which Science Alert explains is extremely fluffy, to the point that scientists aren't sure how it possibly could have formed as close to its star as it is. Here are some hypotheses, quoting Fizz.org. The first relates to the rocky core of the planet. Gas giants are thought to begin as massive rocky cores, about 10 times the mass of Earth, at which point they rapidly pull in large amounts of neighboring gas to form the gas giants we see today. TOI-3757b's star has a lower abundance of heavy elements compared to other M-dwarfs with gas giants, and this may have resulted in the rocky core forming more slowly, delaying the onset of gas accretion and therefore affecting the planet's overall density. 
The second factor may be the planet's orbit, which is tentatively thought to be slightly elliptical. There are times it gets closer to its star than at other times, resulting in substantial excess heating that can cause the planet's atmosphere to bloat. End quote. While the researchers continue searching for other marshmallow-like worlds out there to continue unraveling these mysteries, Carter at Forbes reminds us that exoplanets are continuing to surprise us left and right, and that beyond Jupiter-like exoplanets orbiting mysteriously close to their stars and all manner of candy-sounding atmospheres, some astronomers believe we will soon discover Earth-like exoplanets. Those would probably be orbiting a yellow dwarf star, which are so bright it can be tough to see any planets that they may have. But as telescope technology continues to develop, some believe we may yet find exoplanets with oceans and continents peacefully coexisting, a strong sign of potential habitability. But meanwhile, I will choose to believe that TOI-3757b also supports life. I mean, it's clearly the home planet of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters. If you want to get your Yarf of Fialet office chair without leaving your house and without interacting with a human delivery person, and you live in Texas, you're in luck. IKEA is testing an autonomous delivery service from a warehouse in Baytown near Houston to one of their stores in Frisco, a town outside of Dallas. The Swedish furniture company has partnered with Kodiak Robotics for the initiative, using one of their self-driving long-haul trucks to make the trip every day. Now, crucially, as this is still very much in a testing phase, a backup truck driver remains behind the wheel of the truck for now. But the truck is driving itself for long stretches along I-45. And if the three-month pilot program goes well, Kodiak Robotics and IKEA may sign a multi-year deal, expanding the program to more IKEA stores and warehouses. The goal, according to Engadget, is to make these long-haul trips safer and provide better working conditions for truck drivers. Kodiak's CEO Don Burnett reaffirmed to CNBC that they are not trying to put truck drivers out of work with these autonomous trucks. He said, quote, Adopting autonomous trucking technology can improve drivers' quality of life by focusing on the local driving jobs most prefer to do. Together with IKEA, we can enhance safety, improve working conditions for drivers, and create a more sustainable freight transportation system. End quote. Engadget also notes that while Kodiak's trucks aren't electric, a study from UC San Diego showed Kodiak's autonomous trucks are 10% more efficient than their traditional counterparts. So, you know, that's something. And here's a little more on the trucks from Gizmodo, quote, Their trucks rely on the aptly named Kodiak Vision, which is a combination of cameras, LIDAR, and radar that the truck's computer can use to generate an in-depth understanding of the road around it. And likewise, each truck can update a cloud-based map in real time, signaling the rest of the fleet of any obstacles or updates that may appear throughout transit, end quote. Kodiak has run other autonomous freight tests throughout Texas, as have other self-driving car companies and projects. As CNBC points out, it's an ideal test ground because there are such long stretches of highway between several major cities that all lie within the same state, one with favorable regulations for self-driving cars. 
As IKEA put it to Gizmodo, quote, Autonomous technology and the regulations, both at a state and federal level, are still in the development phase in the U.S., but are evolving rapidly. At IKEA, we are always looking for opportunities to better understand what automated vehicles mean for the transportation industry. End quote. And it makes sense that a furniture company, one which has always been a bit innovative, would be trying to get ahead in this industry. I just wonder if they'll have some kind of smaller scale autonomous delivery system for their meatballs, because that is what I would really like delivered. Well, quick announcement before I go. I am taking tomorrow off. So no new show tomorrow, Friday. Taking a little long weekend, but I will be back on Monday. So that's going to be it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.